Hey friends, it's me, Tangia Renee with That's What She Did Podcast, and I am excited to introduce you to our episode sponsor, History Colorado. I love a great museum, and History Colorado is one of my favorites. At eight museums across Colorado, including the Center for Colorado Women's History in Denver, the team at History Colorado wants you to discover a personal and powerful connection. Plus, their incredible Bold Women Change History series is coming back this fall of 2021. Their members support local artists and designers, after-school programs for working families, and educators working with at-risk youth. Find your history at historycolorado.org. Hey there, Inspiration Junkies. It's me, Tangia Renee. And before we get to the show, I'm going to quickly ask for a favor. If you're a fan of the show, we could really use your support. We have the big goal of building resources that will help more women of color and non-binary people amplify their work and leverage the power of their stories through guest blogging and vlogging and storytelling and PR training. We need to do two simple things to make that happen continue to grow our audience so we can get more stories into more ears and fund a new website that makes blogging, vlogging, and training possible and easy. Now there's two simple ways that you can help us out right now and help make that happen. First, if you're listening on an app like Apple Podcasts that allows you to leave a review, please give us a five-star review. Reviews actually do go a really long way in helping our show get discovered by new listeners. And if you want to go the extra mile and leave us a written review, they help even more. The second thing you can do is go to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash Tangia Renee and simply buy the show a coffee. It's that simple. All proceeds from Buy Me a Coffee go towards amplifying the voices of more brilliant women. Really simple, easy peasy, just the way I like it. Leave us a review and consider buying us a coffee. Thanks so much for your support and for continuing to share our work. Smooches! You're listening to That's What She Did Podcast. I'm your host, Tangia Renee. That's What She Did Podcast is a show about the women leaders, innovators, and rebels you probably don't already know. And I'm crazy excited to have you here because this is season seven, the Movement Makers edition. All season long, we're bringing you incredible, impactful women who are finding cool and innovative ways to move their communities forward. They're creating movements one way or another. I'm so excited to have you here. If you find value here, please consider sharing this show with your friends because that helps us grow and head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Tangia Renee and you can buy the show a coffee. All proceeds for this show go to amplifying the voices of more impactful women. Thank you for joining us and let's get started. Welcome back to season seven of That's What She Did podcast. I'd like to introduce you to Erica Ryder. She's a social worker turned small business owner. In 2012, Erica founded Hope Tank, a gift store that gives back in the heart of the Baker neighborhood in Denver, Colorado. She uses her retail store to connect with over 40,000 customers who come into Hope Tank every single year and also to organizations doing important work in her community. 
She served on the Mayor's Office of Strategic Partnerships Commission and started an inclusive business directory called the Hope Slingers Guide. Erica's story shows us how connection and conversation can be the key to healing in communities. And she proves that even a hyper-local small business can have a big impact in the world. I'm excited for you to learn more about Erica and her unique approach to small business and business that does good in the world. Let's jump right in. Welcome back, everyone, to That's What She Did podcast. I am thrilled to be able to introduce you to Erica Ryder, the founder of Hope Tank, which is a brick and mortar and online business that is doing really cool things in the community. And and I wanted her to be part of our movement makers season because movements can take all kinds of forms and all kinds of variations and they look different depending on the context. And I thought that Erica with Hope Tank was doing something really unique in the community and finding a way to use a brick and mortar store to bring community together around several different things, not just one one cause, but several different things to try to take a hyper-local approach to change, to community change that has far-reaching impacts across that one community. So it's a really interesting, I think, approach to private, public, small business impact in one community that can have far-reaching impacts. And I just wanted to talk about it. So here we are. (laughs) And I am so excited to introduce you all to, again, Erica Ryder. Erica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. This This is fun. It is definitely my pleasure. And when we were talking before, we realized that we have a huge number of people in common (laughs) have never actually met each other. And as I was crowdsourcing for the season and saying to the audience, who should I talk to? Your name was sent to me at least three different times, maybe more. And I was like, who is this Erica person? I keep hearing her name and and she's here in Denver. And and then I looked you up and I was like, I know Hope Tank. I've been to Hope Tank. (laughs) And what happened? Yes. So let's get started by just explaining, you know, like what's the overview? What is Hope Tank? So Hope Tank is a gift store where we connect our customers to work that's happening in the community. And we use retail as the method to the connection. So the goal is people come in, we greet them, we tell them, you know, what we're about, that everything in the store has a little sticker on it that will tell them about an organization that we are supporting. And then as they shop, we have the opportunity to have conversations that are not generally happening in that environment. And so it's kind of fun because people are very open when they come in. They don't expect that. And we have some really beautiful conversations about pretty intense things. And then when they check out, we give them a short version of what those organizations are doing because we don't really want it to be like, oh, here's a little sticker and assume you're going to go look it up. We really want them to have that information right then and there. And then what they do with that next is on them. And so 
that's really the experience. We sell gifts for everyone. So we have everything from baby gifts to jewelry to locally sourced things, food, men, babies, women, everybody. And we also really purposely curate products that reflect the diversity of our customer base. And so that looks like having a queer section, having products that represent the folks that we serve. And so, you know, it might be books, it might be pin, pronoun pins, it might be, you know, we actually really serve a lot of teachers. And so making sure that we have books that represent the kids that they serve, not just like a historical look at, you know, Harriet Tubman, but something cool that also just shows kids of color or kids of Asian descent, normalizing seeing that in books. So it's a wide range. Yes, it is. It's a really cool store. And, and every time I've been in there, it's a different, there's a diff, there's different stuff. It's so every time I've gone, I'm like, oh, what new thing am, am I going to find? I always, I've always found something really cool. I, I've got, I go there for gift baskets. I like as thank you gifts. I like to make a gift. Well, not like make. I'm not sewing things or things like that. (laughs) Curate. Yeah. I like to curate gift baskets for people. (laughs) And Hotake is is my, one of my go-to places where you can find interesting and fun and unique little things that are, can be really meaningful to the person that you're giving them to. So, so yes. So how Erica, did you land on this idea of Hope Tank and eventually the Hope Slingers? So I think it was an evolution. So I was a social worker for 15 years. I worked with a lot of different populations. I'm from Boston. I grew up in the city. I had a very, a very different kind of upbringing. My mom was a teacher in what was then called, you know, the inner city of Boston. My dad was an artist and a business owner. And so I was exposed to quite a lot early on, and I always had this sort of natural, inquisitive way about people who were suffering. I wanted, I asked a lot of questions. I have a son who is six who now is like just like that. And I experienced a, a pretty big trauma when I was five, and I had exposure to a social worker who I think saved my life honestly. And, and so I just always had this desire to connect people to how they can help. That need in me to feel like I was making a difference was obviously what I was seeking. And I think a lot of people who go into social work come from backgrounds that have, you know, some difficult things. And so we want to do for folks what they may have done for us or what folks didn't do for us that we want to provide in the world. So I was a social worker and I continually would hear like, you know, I don't know how you do this. And it really frustrated me because it was like, well, it's not because I'm so special. It's because I'm choosing to participate in the ecosystem of our community. And so my feeling and my philosophy is that we all have impact on every social issue, whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. And then we get to take a step further and take action. And so Hope Tank really came, frankly, from a frustration, Um, a frustration, especially I worked um, 
in the foster care system with older youth aging out of care, which is a huge topic. It is a loaded topic. And it's a topic that is really critical because it impacts then these are our young people, right? And so how we treat our most marginalized young people will affect how they grow and how they participate then as adults. And so there were all these ways I knew people could help, but they didn't know. And to me, it was so simple. And so I really just wanted to find a way where people meet people where they were. Uh, I love giving gifts and people would always say, Oh, where'd you get this or that? And I always, you know, kind of found some things that had impact. And so it became this sort of natural progression of having a space. I knew I needed a space that was more of a, a gathering space. And I had this background being exposed as a kid to lots of art. My mom had an outsider art gallery when I was in high school. And again, it was that gathering space for all kinds of people to talk about all kinds of things. And so I just started with like, well, everybody buys gifts. What if we just started there? And it has evolved from there, really. And while I started the shop, I was, this is the story people always kind of get nervous and, and about is I worked for an agency that was totally mismanaged, run into the ground. It caused a lot of harm for everybody. We all lost our jobs. I was pregnant and suddenly didn't have a job. My husband at the time, didn't, he got laid off at the same time. And my reaction was, well, shit, it can't get scarier. So like now, if it was my sign, whereas a lot of folks would be like looking for that stability, I was sort of creating my, what I knew would be my stability mm-hmm. in the chaos. So yeah, so then, you know, nine years later, here we are. It's definitely, it's changed a lot since the beginning, for sure. Sure. What was that process like? I'm always interested in this, of, of this, the starting the business for you, because I think I'm, I'm a little more like you, where I have been, you know, like lost jobs and been laid off and things like that. And it's not my first instinct to go find another job. It's my first instinct to be like, I have all of these ideas. <laughs> How can I turn that into something? Right. Yeah. So I'd love to hear a little bit about you, your husband are, find yourself unemployed. You're mm-hmm. pregnant. You're deciding to start this business. What was that like for you in that moment? I mean, you know, it's interesting. I've talked to lots of people who are doing startups or thinking about starting businesses. And I will say, I don't recommend this, right? Like, same. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I think there are so many amazing programs that exists to help, you know, especially women in business. You know, I've referred a lot of people to like Sisterpreneurs, which is here in Denver, working with black women entrepreneurs. And there are groups that do help micro business owners. I would have benefited greatly from that, I will say. But unfortunately, I, you know, I signed a lease and I was like off and running. And so I only had, I mean, we opened... Oh my God. It was like three weeks later. Like it was the original hope tank was this teeny tiny space 
in the art district on Santa Fe. I had a little room in the back where I was like sewing and making stuff because in the early days I was making things. And because of where it was, it was not a high traffic area except for during First Fridays. And so something that does happen in business for everyone is you do have those moments where you have to decide, is this thing working? And I, I had my daughter... She had a very traumatic entry into the world. I became a NICU mom. And so it was a blessing in some ways that the business was such an, in, in such its infancy because I was able to, you know, be with my baby. And then I had to go back to work because it was not making enough money. So something that I think a lot of people don't talk about is like the folks that you think are like, really, really hitting it hard and, and figured it all out. They are often the ones working other jobs, not sleeping, sacrificing other things that you don't necessarily see. And so I think it's very easy to feel like, you know, you're less than because you're still working a regular job. And it's like, no, man, that's how most of us do it. So yeah, so I went back to social work and then I did again, have a crossroads moment where I had the opportunity for this lease uh, in a neighborhood that I was dying to go. Like I loved Baker. I love where we are now. And I had to make that decision. There's no way I could do the full job and the baby and the business. And so I went and put it all on the line and signed the lease in this new space. And thank God, you know, my instincts were correct that it was way busier here And I was able to sustain myself in that new space, Mm -hmm. but it could have gone either way. Yeah, it can. (laughs) And and it requires, I mean, I get asked a lot about starting another business and I'm like, honestly, it's the hardest thing in the world. (laughs) And you think like you see me hustling on the thing that you see me doing publicly but you don't know that there are many times like there's this up and down and there are many times that I have to go pick up a consulting contract here or there to to bridge that gap. And I don't like it, but I do what I got to (laughs) do. Yes. And it's the thing, you know, I will say, you know, with COVID, I mean, it was, it's the true test right Mm -hmm. now is for people who sort of like took a beat, but then hit it even harder or they said, I, this is not for me. And, and I do think there are a lot of people who are forcing the business versus thriving. And like the struggle is still there, but it's worth it, you know? And I do think there's just so much social pressure around small business and not enough real talk about small business and what we really need to make this successful and the support we really need from community. It's a lot of talk. And so I do think there, there's just a lot of misinformation about how challenging it truly is. And then let's be real, you know, talking about being a parent, having a business. I am now a solo parent with two little ones and running my business is my solo income, right? Like that's it. So we don't talk about that a lot. A lot of folks have a a spouse or a partner who you know, their income helps allow for the exploration of a small business versus me. This is it. This is my gig. Like it's all on the line. Yeah. 
So, but it's also, I mean, it's wonderful. I wouldn't trade it. Sure. And I think that there's an added challenge when you're trying to do business that is for the good of the community. It's social entrepreneurship, right? It's not just about making the bottom line. It's like actually trying to have an impact. And a lot of listeners in this audience are interested in that or are doing that on some level. I'd like to introduce you to one of my favorite places on the internet, the Free Body Society, an online apparel store that creates empowering t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, and accessories to inspire women to be bold and embrace their bodies, no matter their size. The Free Body Society is on a mission to ensure all women feel powerful and free in their bodies. From the perfect breathable tank for your next workout to a cozy crop top hoodie for those days when you want to make a statement or simply lounge it out, the Free Body Society has you covered. Personally, the super soft hoodies are my favorite. In fact, I'm wearing my curvy AF hoodie right now. I've never felt anything softer on my skin. Anytime I wear it out, I get a ton of compliments. And I love wearing the hoodies to the gym or out running errands because they just make a statement and draw people in. Any of the tops can be dressed up with a cute full skirt, jeans, and a blazer, or just throw on a tank and be workout ready. The options are endless. For being a listener of That's What She Did podcast, you get 15% off your first purchase plus free shipping on any order over $35. All you have to do is use code SHEDID at checkout, and the discounts are all yours. That's code SHEDID at checkout. Don't forget to head over to freebodysociety.com today and hit that discount code. Smooches! So what advice do you have, or maybe what are some of the harder won lessons around doing business, but also doing community work and how to do that and and still find a way to thrive. It's hard. Well, okay. I mean, this is a loaded topic and those who know me well know I have some strong opinions. We like strong opinions here. So I'm, you know, I've definitely made people uncomfortable. There, there are some feelings I have about social enterprise. I think there's a lot of bullshit. I think there are a lot of people who are saying things like 1% to the planet. Well, what is 1% of a tiny small business? That's a dollar amount. And so I don't love dollar amounts when we are talking about social enterprise. I'm much more interested in a small business that says we pay our employees for X number of days of volunteering at the place of their choice a year. I know what that means. Or we as a company do X, Y, Z. This is how we build impact because truthfully, any business can have social impact. Yes, it is the foundation and the language that we use at Hope Tank. It's like very, very obvious. But almost every small business I know that I collaborate with, they do a lot of impact in the community that we wouldn't, you know, and they wouldn't consider all that exceptional. And I'm suggesting that you have to be really careful, especially as a buyer, 
you know, buyer beware. Like people are full of shit. And, and there's a lot of harm in that space. There is a very large shoe brand that people know that I will say was started with great intention and caused tremendous damage, tremendous damage. There is a phenomenal movie um, called Poverty Inc. that I encourage every single person to watch because it will change your perspective on A, Americans and like how we think we're helping when in fact, a lot of times we're doing a lot of harm. Um, and that generally people don't ask folks what they need. And so they assume, they say, here's what you need. And I saw that always in social work, always, is that we assume we know better because we are classist and racist. And so when you look at the foster care system and you look at the social services system, we white folks tend to come in and feel superior. And we say, here's what you need. Let me tell you how it's going to work. And I see a lot of folks do that in social enterprise. And so you just have to be very careful. So again, I really, I've actually backed away from that whole sort of conversation Mm -hmm. um, and shifted more towards business for good. I want to know what you stand for. I want to know what you're doing intrinsically in your business are you recycling? Mm-hmm. Who are you recycling with? You know, how do you treat your employees? Like, what is, what are you doing internally and then externally in community? But, you know, you see a lot of businesses that will throw up an Instagram post about something that is topical. Right. And then there's no real meat to it, right? There's no actual proof of what they're doing. And so that's why with Hope Tank, it's definitely shifted over the years. When I first started, we were a percentage-based model. Like, you know, it was like 10% of everything goes back to these things. And then it was like, well, wait a minute. If I'm sending a check for like $3.75, what the hell difference does that make? And so I had to really look internally and go, okay, wait a minute. If I, you know, back to my social work roots, it's like, what are the assets I have that will actually make a difference and then do that, right? And like right. Ask, ask people what they want. And so I became much more flexible in what giving back looks like. And so for some people, they're so in the, the like buy one, give one method in their head, um, thinking that's very tangible. And sometimes for me explaining, yeah, sometimes it's, a financial donation. Sometimes it's product. Sometimes it's, you know, a mural. Sometimes it's like, Hey, your staff, what can we do for your staff? Sometimes it it could look very, very different. And again, that's impact, right? Like it doesn't um, add up to all the same dollars, but the joke is I'm so loose about it now that when I look at the end of the year, it's always more than if I had done a percentage model, it would be a small amount. But because we do all these different things, mm-hmm. it actually ends up being so much. Like it's shocking to me. Even. Right. It's, it's just integral in what we do. I mean, I would even argue in the case of many businesses that I'm aware of, that they do a percentage giving model because it is less at the end of the year and it's easier for them to tax deduct it. I mean, I always, <laughs> I have this, this same criticism. Um, about social enterprise. And I tell people, look, if it has a ton of marketing around it, then you need to take a critical eye to that thing. 
because they're probably spending more on marketing than they are on actual whatever this thing is that they're trying to do. And you really need to ask questions about, like, here's the thing. So I also ha- I have a, a background in nonprofit. And people are used to asking questions about nonprofits, right? They're used to being like, I don't want this money to go to paper clips, which right. is kind of absurd because you got to, a nonprofit is, is still a business. You got to yes. have staff, you got to have paper clips, like you got to have certain things. Like, I only want my money to go to impact to the actual work, which I get, but it's an oversimplification of what actually needs to happen to perform the work. But people don't apply that same critical eye to a business. And they're like, oh, so if I buy a pair of shoes, they give a pair of shoes to a family in Guatemala. And that's nice. They might need shoes, but they also probably need food or medication or clean water. And so the question is, is like, how impactful are the shoes? Now, they're writing that off, and that's a tax deduction for them. So they're not losing anything. They're not really spending anything. At worst, it's a break-even for them on the product that they're giving away. It might even be profitable. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I just always say this to people. I'm like, if, if it has a lot of marketing around it, you need to approach it with a critical eye. You just have to. And if it, it doesn't matter if it's business that we're talking about or a diet plan, if it's got a ton of marketing around it, it's probably bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And, you know, it, it is one of the, I will say it's one of the buttons, right? Like when people ask me questions about how we serve, you know, we are hyper local. We are, we are specifically working with organizations that most folks have not heard of. And there's a reason because I actually think what we're doing, right? Like one of the, one of the ways I give back is we spend thousands and thousands of dollars on stickers that have someone else's website on them that go with every product. So the marketing that we're doing and the customers we're reaching are very different that they wouldn't be reaching otherwise. And so in the early days, one of the organizations we work with is called the Wayfaring Band. They're this amazing organization that does trips. These, I mean, they're like sick trips with young adults who experience cognitive disabilities. And in the early days, it would be like, you know, how much does that really impact, right? Like us telling people about the Wayfaring Band. And their founder, Andrea Moore, whom I adore because she will get, you know, she is, she's tough. She was like, you know what? It's working. I'll say, oh, I have this organization, the Wayfair Man. And she says, people constantly like, oh yeah, I learned about you guys through Hope Tank. Like it works. And so we underestimate the power of word of mouth, right? Like we really have this unique opportunity to talk to people. We have 40,000 or so people come through the store every year. Well, not right now, but normally. Normally, Um, And even if they don't purchase something, we still have the opportunity to talk to them. And we have conversations that people would be shocked by. Absolutely stunned. The number of, it's where sort of, again, my social work comes in. Like if we're talking about an organization that serves trans folks, And we happen to talk to this family. We don't know anything about them. 
And they're all of a sudden, everybody's in tears. And it's like, what's going on? And maybe they have somebody in their family who just came out as trans and we're able to connect them instantly to a community. I mean, that is like powerful stuff. And we just don't talk to each other anymore. You know, we don't talk to strangers. We don't right. talk to people. And so it, it can be something like that. Or it could be something like what I hear a lot with older women specifically. We greet everybody who comes in the door. And people will say, you are the only person who has acknowledged me and that I exist in like a week or a month or whatever. And that is disgusting. And so it's our opportunity to do anti-ageism work in real time. Mm -hmm. um, people underestimate the power of that. And so when we had to board up and close for 87 days, um, I got letters, I got texts, I got messages from people who were completely shut down because we are a place that they feel comfortable and welcomed and acknowledged like just the power of acknowledging somebody that's the conversation I want to have it's not just about how much do you donate it's it's like did you you potentially save someone's life today by seeing them and acknowledging them I think that many businesses don't do this because it's hard to quantify like you can't like, how do you put it in, even if you're a social enterprise by designation, how do you put that into a grant application? Oh, we had. We'll try to figure it out. <laughs> right? How do you explain that to your audience in 140 characters? It's just hard to quantify because we're talking about the individual stories. But I think that it is one of the more powerful ways to activates, to be an activist, to create real-time impact that actually does changes, that does change things. Because when you talk to people, it's really hard, unless you're like a complete sociopath, to not have empathy with whatever they're telling you. It's really hard. <laughs> like you, and I yeah. feel like even if you have deep political differences, it's really hard to hold on to those when somebody is looking you in the eye face to face and saying, this is my experience and it's been really Oh, for hard. sure. And, and that's a good point too, because let's be real, you know, yes, we have signage outside. That's very inclusive. We, we have things that are kind of like, it's very obvious that we're about something right from the outside, but that doesn't mean that our customer base is homogenous. It means that people are kind of intrigued. They're like, what, what is this? And so I have had fascinating conversations with people with very different perspectives and opinions and political um, spheres than myself. And my goal is they are welcome. The conversations are welcomed. Hard conversations are welcomed. I mean, I've had a lot of Black Lives Matter conversations versus All Lives Matter conversations. And I can confidently say that most people leave with a much deeper understanding them when they first came in. Yeah, it's just, again, it, it's an unexpected space to have those conversations. And so it kind of works. Like they weren't planning on that moment. And I will say it is incredibly emotional. Like 
I think, and again, I've always struggled with like how to share these stories. I, I haven't, I don't think I've done a good job. Right. But like we have, I mean, we have somebody who came in and purchased stuff to put in their nephew's casket, you know, because they knew a, they could come in and talk about that with us. First of all, like how many people are going to just talk to people in a store about something, you know, a loss like that, but also that their family was like so connected here and that the kid loved it here. You know, I've put together hospice care kits. I mean, I did one over COVID for a, a little girl who was going through cancer treatment and, and she passed away. And this family was like, we have to do a hope tank kit, you know, for not just for her, but for her family. And so it is so unusual. It's so intense, but it's a beautiful thing. And I do struggle with how to share out more of that because the people who know, know, but not enough people know. It's a kind of you had to be there situation. <laughs> yeah. So tough. I mean, I don't know. I can think of all kinds of like multimedia ways, but it's not yeah. easy. I mean, yeah. I, I choose to do it in a form of podcast <laughs> because I do value storytelling. And I do think that there's a lot um, of good and connection to your point that comes from just being able to hear somebody talk about their experience and this is how I did it. And this is what I think about that and that kind of thing. So yeah, I apologize. My dog has decided to wake up. <laughs> she's been asleep this whole time. <laughs> and now she's like, let's play. <laughs> no play here. Take this. So I would love to hear you talk a little bit more, explain what the hope slingers are and what that means for the work that you're doing. Yeah. So, you know, over the years, I've tried to kind of identify like, what is it? I mean, people, they really, I, I knew they would connect, but I didn't know they would connect the way they connect. Right. Like some of my closest friends are people who were customers. I mean, it's odd, odd, but it really comes from them. It's like, it's basically to me, it's about a couple of things. One, it's easy to get cynical about hope and that hope is corny and that hope is like naive. I disagree. My experience working as a, a social worker specifically and my personal experience having gone through some tragedy, people suffer unimaginable things and they keep going. And the only thing I could ever come up with as a reason is hope, is that they literally hope that it could get better. That's it. I mean, the inspiration for the name was driving to work every day. I worked at Volunteers of America here in Denver for a while, and I would drive past one of the big shelters here for our unhoused neighbors, and the streets would be lined with human people on the streets. And it's like how folks can endure what it is to be unhoused, especially here. It's unimaginable. It really is. Like we are horrible here to our unhoused folks. And I just had this vision of literally like, what if I could just like put like a little heart on every person while they were asleep and they would wake up and know like, I see you. 
And I also have hope for you. Like I hope, I hope, I really hope it will be better. And so that's, that's, you know, some of it. And then the other idea is really about when you know better, do better. And I understand that people don't know where to begin. And so what my hope is, is that they come here and we give them some ideas. We spark something in them and we give them something really concrete that they can go do. And I swear 90% of the people who come in here, no matter what they came in carrying as a burden, because most of us are, they leave hopeful and then they go spread that. And so that is the idea is that they take, you know, that spark and they literally like aggressively go share that in the world. And Hope Tank is not, you know, the warm and fuzzy. I am not the warm and fuzzy. I, I mean, I'm an East Coaster and whatever. I, people say that like, I'm, I'm aggressively caring and, you know, that's... I like that. Aggressively like that. caring. You know? It's like, if you want to get moving, I'm for you. If you want gentle and sweet and, and slow, I'm not it. I, I want action. And so hopes, you know, a hope slinger is somebody who sort of goes, Oh shit, I can do that too. And here's how I'm going to do it. Whether that's in my business or my family, or I'm going to like make eye contact with people on the street who are asking for help. I'm going to smile at people. It's not corny. It's like important. And when people lose that last bit of hope, that's when tragedy happens because up until that moment, they really want for something better. And so I want for all of us to make sure that like on the days that we don't have it, we just don't have it. Somebody is going to be that person who just gives us, you know, what we needed and that we can all do that for other people. So I wish it were like this. I had like a simple tagline or anything, but it's really, it's deeper than that. It's not cute. It's powerful. Hope is a very powerful thing that we can use like currency. And you should be generous with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So is there an end game for you? (laughs) No, I don't know what the hell that is. No. No, I mean, I can't imagine doing anything else, you know? Yeah. Is there an end game for like, for Hope Tank or for, I don't know. I do a lot of other stuff that has mm-hmm. been birthed out of this too. So it just keeps evolving. Yeah. I, I think the biggest things that we have to address in our communities, they just keep evolving, you know? I mean, I think sometimes, I guess if you if you come from a, a nonprofit background or you're in a nonprofit, their mission is their end game, right? It's like. It's our, not though. It's not. I know. Because but- <laughs> your mission, let's, let's, but no, but this is important too. Cause okay. Something people should know about Hope Tank. Uh, I am just as critical of the nonprofit industrial complex. We all should I be. About a lot of things. We and all so should be. Yeah. If you are supporting a nonprofit, I have a lot of things that I encourage people to do as far as their research. Like just look at their board makeup. Look at their staff makeup. If they are serving predominantly people of color and they do not have an executive director of color, we've got to talk about it. If an executive director is not talking about how to eliminate themselves 
period. If an organization's like, we don't need to exist, then we've done a good job. And I do think that's maybe my end game is very much like getting people to understand that nonprofit is not the way to end any of these systemic problems that we are. And if anything, capitalism is the only way we're going to do it because that's the only way people roll here, right? So if businesses actually plug in and actually do something about it, instead of saying, oh God, it's so crazy that Amazon and this and that, and instead we actually did something about it, Mm -hmm. then it changes. But expecting the nonprofit sector to be the, the... solution it is exactly how we continue to oppress people right yeah. it's like poverty is the cause of 90% of all of our social problems and the rest is racism and bigotry like you know what i mean so um i am strong about that and that is also why we do not do partnerships with international impact we only mm. do impact here in the state and because that is another way people can avoid looking right here in their own neighborhood about what's happening. So anyway, sorry, I know I like jumped in, but I'm like, oh, this, no, no. this nonprofit world, man, it's also just this dirty. No, you're right. And it's one of the reasons why I'm not in the sector anymore. My background before I came into podcasting, which was like a fluke, I was just trying to figure out how to podcast. I didn't think I was going like, to be in this sector. But I was in nonprofit and I was in politics and did public policy work and people still believe that nonprofits were gonna like save the world and no they're just a copy of everything else that is happening in capitalism most of them anyway not not to say that there aren't great nonprofits out there that aren't doing really great work there definitely are um, but they require sort of a radical way of thinking that's a, a real departure from the traditional nonprofit approach to things. And it's not just the nonprofits themselves. It's the way that entire system is set up that keeps those organizations enslaved to funders and the funder agenda. And it's a problem. So yes, I hear you. (laughs) Well, and it's, and it's frankly, okay. So then I take that experience and I also apply it to small business and You know, I can say with certainty that the only reason I survived this COVID experience, which, I mean, really eviscerated my business, I mean, absolutely eviscerated me, is because of all other small business owners, period. Like, it wasn't the politicians, it wasn't the nonprofits, it was the other small business owners, literally, like our lifeline. And so what has come from that has been so cool. And like what I get also sort of attached with Hope Slinger, you know, as a movement, right, is mutual aid, is that we all have something to give and we all have something we need. And if we rely more on each other and we collaborate and not in like, again, the corny way, like really, really, like I have artists doing murals on my window right now because I asked 
my community, hey, can people sponsor an artist? I can't right now, but I want them to be paid. So I'm not going to do an exposure situation for an artist. I'm going to make sure they get paid. Which is bullshit. Anyway, like all you people out there, stop approaching creators and business and like solopreneurs. Stop approaching people and being like, can you come and do this thing because you're going to get exposure? The answer is no. 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 And they're not, yeah, like, oh my God, even just with our gift baskets and all the, you know, fundraiser things that I donate, I have never once gotten like any business out of it. I do it because I want to. So if you donate, choose to donate. But yeah, asking people, people asking me to speak for free all the time and, you know, do these things that they charge for. If you charge for an event, you pay your speakers. Damn right you do. Like that is just like some craziness that I am sick of and over it. But the point is, is that like the mutual aid is what will continue to be the option. Like it's the best option. If I wait around for, you know, I mean, shoot, we had to literally board up our storefront windows. And I was like, well, I want artists to be able to, I want people to know we're still here. I don't want to just be like some boarded up nasty thing. And so we went to community. Did the city come forward and fund a single thing? No, nothing. Then they had the nerve to tweet about how awesome our community was for raising this money and doing this thing, you know? And it's like, so it just proves the point that the way we got it done was with community and the way my life has been blessed is community. That's it. I mean, pure and simple. The people who refer me for consulting gigs, they are people that I have nurtured you know, honest to God. And it's, I will say, unfortunately, it's always women. It's very rarely a man who puts my name in their mouth in places of opportunity, but it's because I will put them up anywhere and anyhow. So it is reciprocated. And so what I'm interested in is just radical reciprocity. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not about trade. It's not about networking. It's about genuine relationships. Like I like people. And if they do great work, I'm going to tell everybody about it. And if you think I do great work, tell people about it. There is more than enough to go around, but that nonprofit mindset and us as women in business, we feel the scarcity because some of it is real, but we then forget we can generate more to compound it, you know? Right. Uh, I mean, That has always been in philanthropy too. It's like the poorest communities are the ones who can outraise and outgive. They outraise and they outgive almost every single time. And then on the flip side of that, you have some foundation that has millions of dollars and they're like, I'll give you a thousand dollars if you write this 10 page application and prove to me. (laughs) You're like, prove it. Prove it. Yeah. No, no. I I love it. Before we wrap up here, Erica, is there a call to action that you have, whether it be for other businesses or for community? What, how would you like to end? I mean, I would invite everyone to engage in our social media because that's a great place to somebody coin this phrase of 
you know, spend your digital currency. Well, it matters. Like I hate that I rely on social media so much, but it really matters. And people underestimate how much that helps. So I would say we obviously we are online now. And so I certainly need people to shop the, the parts of the business that people forget, right? It's, it's a business. It's not, we can't do all this other good stuff without business. And so I want people to shop with us. I want people to join in the work, like just follow along and then share and spread it. If you bought a pair of socks and you learned about this great organization with youth, get on your social and share about it. Like really, because the more we talk about these examples, really concrete examples, the easier it becomes. And we demystify, you know, our ability to participate in that ecosystem. We think, oh, well, only the people who have a lot of money or a lot of influence. And that is just not the case. Your sphere of influence is much bigger than you think. And those little baby choices you make each day have huge critical impact. They add up. And so if we collectively are doing that, it's a movement. It shifts. It really shifts. But you have to choose to plug in just somewhere, anywhere. It doesn't have to be huge. It's just like within your own household. So that's why I just launched this subscription box. And it's the first, the first one is about environmental privilege and like, how do we plug in? So, yeah. I love it. All right, folks, as usual, we will connect to all of the places for you to learn more about Hope Tank and Erica in the show notes. Shop online if you're not in Denver, Colorado area. If you're in the Denver area, head down to South Broadway and visit Hope Tank. Check it out. It's a really cool space. I love it. I was not lying when I said I I go there when I'm trying to curate gifts, not make them. I don't don't make anything except like tacos. (laughs) Definitely check it out. Erica, thank you so, so much for your time today. I love it. Love all that you're doing. And uh, I definitely encourage our audience to learn more about you and get involved on some level. Or, hey, maybe you're inspired by what Hope Tank is doing and you can do something similar in your community. Don't underestimate the power of a good conversation. So. Go have it. All right, folks, you know what to do. If you are not following us yet, get on the ball so that you don't miss any episodes as they come out. And uh, we thank you for your time. You could be spending it anywhere, but you're choosing to spend it with us. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Please don't forget to continue to share and rate the podcast for it. This is how we grow. Thanks so much. Until next time, we out. Peace.